Well, good morning. When you were in high school or junior high, uh, if you remember back getting your class schedule for the year, you would get that piece of paper that had all of your classes that you were going to have, and then on the other side was the teachers you would have for each of those classes. And if you were like me, you would be curious as to what are these teachers like. And so I would do some investigative work. I would start asking around about people who've had the teachers before, like, what's she like? What's he like? And you might get answers like this, you know, oh, make sure you're on time for her class, because if you're even 30 seconds late, she will write you up. Good to know. You might hear something like, or I heard something like, well, he's so laid back. He's super chill. He's awesome. You're going to love his class. Awesome. But inevitably, I would hear something like this, at least about one teacher. Hey, she's great, but she gives a lot of pop quizzes. You know the pop quiz, right? The pop quiz, by definition, is a test that is not scheduled. When you got your syllabus for the semester, it's not on there. You won't see the word pop quiz on a syllabus. It can come at any time, it can cover any material. It is literally grounded in the unexpected, the pop quiz. But at least if you've been told that a teacher is going to give a pop, is known for giving pop quizzes, you can kind of mentally be prepared, right? So when she comes to you and says, take out your pencils, we're going to have a pop quiz, there's not that sense of just dread that falls over you. We can hope. Well, in our passage today, we're going to see how God is going to start testing the Israelites in the wilderness. And much like a pop quiz, these tests, they're, they're not on the syllabus, so to speak. Uh, they kind of come out of left field. And we'll be looking at how we too, as Christians, are tested, have been tested, um, are being tested, and will be tested in this life, and how we can better grow with each test and come away and put away the childishness of grumbling and complaining and then put on total trust and obedience to God through that growth. Well, our study passage this week, if you studied the entire study, was Exodus 15, 22 through 17, 7. But today we're going to be focusing on just five verses. We're going to be focusing on Exodus 15, 22 through 27. So if you'll open your Bibles to that, we will read together. Starting in verse 22, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? And he cried to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There Yahweh made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Well, we've seen in our study of Exodus so far, we've seen God doing great things to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, and then, as he's promised them, into this promised land. Um, it was a promise that he made back in Exodus 3. Exodus 3, verses 7 through 8 said this, Then Yahweh said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. 
I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so far we've seen God come through and fulfill these promises, right? Uh, He saw their affliction and heard their cry. Check. He delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Check. So what's left? The promised land, right? Bring on the milk and honey. Let's go. But our passage today directly follows the Red Sea, and it starts with the word then, which means it literally directly follows this time. Let's read uh, Exodus 15, 22 again. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Well, that doesn't sound like the promised land to me, does it? There isn't even water, let alone milk and honey. God has brought them to the wilderness, the desert. And if you know our wonderful earth that God's created, he's created jungles, he's created plains and mountains and forests and all these different environments, and then we have the deserts. And I think if you had to be dropped in one of those environments, the desert would be the last one that you would desire, right? I mean, it is so inhospitable for things to live, especially human beings. It's literally void of everything that we need to live, the desert. And yet God brings the Israelites there. You know, they're just coming off this real spiritual high. They've just witnessed uh, the 10 plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. They just got done, finished, uh, they just finished singing those wonderful songs of praises and worship to God that Stacy taught us about just a few weeks ago. So you can imagine being plopped into the desert afterwards. There had to have been some shock, maybe even some, some disappointment. Um, that, the, that the promised land didn't directly follow their salvation. And then you can imagine there was also probably discomfort and fear when water wasn't found. I mean, water isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. And there was no water in the desert. And then to add insult to injury, when water was found, it was bitter and undrinkable. I mean, water that's bitter, we know we, we shouldn't ingest. It's probably going to make us sick, right? So they couldn't even drink the water that they found. Well, much like the Israelites, ladies, we too are not taken directly into the promised land when we're saved, right? We're all sitting here today, so we can assume that's true. If you're a Christian in the room, uh, you're not directly brought up to heaven. Uh, God keeps you here for a time. He's going to keep us here until Jesus returns or we're called home. And in this time, he's going to do some work on us. He's going to sanctify us. He's going to grow us. He's going to stretch us. He's going to refine us. He's going to increase our reliance on him and decrease our reliance on ourselves. And he's going to conform us to the image of his son. There's a lot of hard work that needs to be done. Let's read verses 22 through 24 again, Exodus 15, 22 through 24. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. The Israelites were, were surprised by the wilderness. Um, they grumbled because life got hard, but we 
cannot be surprised. So point number one is don't be surprised when life gets hard. Don't be surprised when life gets hard. Well, like we've been saying, the Israelites just witnessed these wonderful miracles that God did. They had no hand in it. They did nothing to save themselves from the, Egyptian. it was the Egyptians. It was all God. And then the first trial that they hit, they default to grumbling and complaining. They go back to their old ways. Uh, let's read verses 23 through 24 again. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter Therefore, it was named Mara, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? I don't know about you, but every year, if you've been doing the DBR for a while, every year when we get to this point in Exodus and then these next weeks that we hit in Exodus, I find myself getting a little frustrated and annoyed with the Israelites. Anyone empathize there? right? Because all they do is complain and complain and disobey. And after a while, you're just like, enough already. Get it right, right? But it's easy to read Exodus and play that Monday morning quarterback. It's easy to look at Exodus and say, well, I would have done it differently. I mean, if I had just witnessed what they witnessed, there's no way three days later I'd be complaining. No way. I mean, we say that, but... If you look at your life, is that really true? While you may not have physically seen what they saw, maybe we haven't, we haven't seen the GT1 miracles, as Pastor Mike likes to say. Before you were saved, remember, you were dead in your sins. Before you were saved, you had a heart of stone. And God made you alive in Christ, and he gave you a heart of flesh. I think we could agree that that is just as much of a miracle as parting a large body of water, right? And you sat front row to it. No one knows your testimony better than you do. You saw God do everything. And can you really say you never complain or grumble? When things get hard, what is your default response? Do you wish things could just be easier? Um, it would seem like a good alternative for life to be easy after we're saved, right? We get saved and it's just smooth sailing from there. But then the purpose of this time would not be met. If things were easy, it would be too easy, right? If this life gave us everything that we needed, if we could do everything in our own power, what would our need for God be? Where would our reliance be? Uh, we would become prideful. We would become overly independent. An easy environment without trials is not an area where growth can take place. It can only happen with what the Bible calls fiery trials, when you go through the fire. You know, this is true actually in nature, too. I learned a few years back that pine trees, a lot of species of pine trees, uh, when they drop their pine cones, I always thought that that would just mean a new pine tree would grow uh, from the pine cones. But if you look around, there's a lot of pine cones on the ground, and we don't see just all these pine, pine trees growing, do we? Uh, that's because the, the seed of the pine tree is actually encapsulated in this pod within the pine cone. And in order for that pod to be opened, it has to go through intense heat. We call them forest fires, right? We don't like forest fires. They do have destruction, but there is a purpose to them. And when they do go through a forest of, of pine trees, those pine cones open up and those seeds come out and they germinate and new pine trees are able to grow. So without the fire, there would be no pine trees. And it's the same with us. It takes 
the fire. We should not be surprised that we need that fire in order to grow and that we're going to be experiencing fiery trials as well. 1 Peter 4.12 puts it this way, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He says, don't be surprised. This isn't strange. If we, don't, if we don't want to be surprised by life's tests, then we need to know that they are going to be part of the Christian life. And we can do this by just looking to Scripture. I mean, it's everywhere, right? We don't see anyone with an easy life in Scripture. I mean, we look at uh, people like Job. Job was tested, right? I think we can all agree. Uh, Joseph was tested. David was tested. Paul was tested. It's everywhere we see people in the Bible being tested, Scripture shows us that this is just not uncommon, so we need to be reading our Bibles and learning from these examples that we've been given through God's Word. And then remember, the Israelites, when they were brought to the wilderness, they weren't dispersed and off on their own singly. They actually were kept together as a group. And it's the same for us. We're here going through this together. We have this wonderful church family. We have wonderful sisters in Christ that we can walk alongside during these fiery trials, encouraging one another. We can even look to other sisters as they are enduring a trial and learn from them. I mean, how many of you have a friend who's had, you know, a death in the family, uh, severe marriage troubles, uh, maybe a severe illness, and you watched her go through that trial and she walked it well? I mean, maybe not perfect, but she walked it well, right? You got to observe that. You got to see her faith. You got to see what God did through that trial. And it's a good time to actually reflect on yourself. Ask yourself, what would I do if that happened to me? Where would my faith be? Where would my trust be? How would I react? Well, God's given the Israelites their first test, and they failed, But we see next that he's going to let them know that more tests will be coming. He's letting them know, I am a teacher who gives pop quizzes. Well, with this test, we see that the Israelites were not ready, but Moses was, if you notice. Exodus 15, verses 25 through 26. And he cried to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There Yahweh made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of Yahweh your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh your healer. Moses turns straight to God, and God gives an immediate solution, an immediate answer to his prayer. Moses was ready for the test, and we also need to be ready for the pop quizzes that will inevitably be coming our way. So that's point number two. Be ready for your next pop quiz. Be ready for your next pop quiz. Well, the Israelites have been in the wilderness for three days. They are without water. They have resorted to grumbling and complaining. That was their default. But Moses' default was to cry out to God in prayer. Again, verse 24, he cried, or 25, I'm sorry, Exodus 15, 25, and he cried to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. We don't see Moses partaking in the complaining, not even for a second. 
It's not even like he starts and goes, oh, no, no, no. No, he doesn't even go there. He doesn't even partake in it. Because he knows that much like worrying, complaining, and grumbling does absolutely nothing. And I think we can see this in our own lives. How many of you can look back on one of your fiery trials and say, you know what got me through that time? Complaining about it every single day. <laughs> right? We would never say that because it's not true because complaining has no power. But prayer does. God immediately answers this prayer and he supplies the fresh water that is needed. Moses trusted God because he knew a God that could separate a giant body of water could surely supply fresh water, right? Moses' faith had, had matured. I think we can agree that this isn't the same Moses we saw at the beginning of Exodus. If we look back at Exodus 4, we see a much different Moses. Exodus 4 is where God is approaching Moses and saying, I want you to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 right? Exodus 4, verses 10 through 13. But Moses said to Yahweh, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then Yahweh said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now therefore go, I will be with, be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Sounds a little bit like complaining, right? Has that little bit of a twinge to it. Moses was doubting God then. He was doubting God's judgment in choosing him. He was doubting God's power to do what he would say he was going to do through him. But Moses obeyed. And through time and through trials, Moses' faith matured. He started to see that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And Moses grows in his reliance on God because of the fiery trials, and because he sees God's faithfulness through them. Well, next we see God set some, some rules, right? He's going to give them a first set of little rules that he wants them to follow. Verses um, Exodus 15, 25 through 26, There Yahweh made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh your healer. Well, if we know the Christian life will be hard, if we know that the tests are going to come, then we're, we're good, right? We're prepared. Well, not quite, because you need to know what the material is going to be. What is it, the material that's going to be covered in these tests? And God is giving that to us today in our passage. He's giving us exactly what he desires to see from us. Again, if you will diligently listen to the voice of Yahweh your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes right? Listen to the voice of Yahweh your God. Listen to me. Trust me. Trust what I'm saying. Um, keep all his statutes. Uh, do which is right in his eyes. Obey me. He's asking the Israelites to give him their undivided trust and complete obedience. And if you studied the full passage uh, for our study this week, uh, you see that this comes into play when God gives very specific instructions for the manna. So let's turn to Exodus 16, Exodus 16, and we're going to read verses 4 through 5. Exodus 16, verses 4 through 5. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, 
I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the, fifth, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So each person was to gather only what was needed for one day's worth of food. Um, pretty easy, right? How hard is this to follow? But let's remember, they're in the wilderness. They're in the desert. There is no other food other than this manna that God is providing. And the temptation to hoard that food probably will creep in. Even though God has said he's going to give a day's portion every day, there's going to be a temptation to hoard. That's why uh, he gives these specific instructions. Because God wants them to trust him, not in their hoarding. He wanted uh, them to trust that when he said it would rain down bread each and every day, he meant it. He wanted their trust to be in him and his, promise, and his promises, and he wanted their obedience to be complete. But this is unfortunately not what happens, right? If we read on, we see them mess up not once, but twice, just in the first week. So if you go down to Exodus 16, verses 19 through 20, Exodus 16, 19 through 20, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. So we see a little bit of God's divine discipline in making that manna breed worms and stink because they did not obey his commands. He also gives specific commands about the Sabbath day. Go to Exodus 16, verses 23 through 27. This is what Yahweh has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to Yahweh. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Then what happens? On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but found None. And Yahweh said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? The Israelites are tested in their trust and obedience to God, and, and we're going to be tested in the exact same ways. His criteria has not changed over time. So if we want to better uh, pass the tests that are to come our way, we need to know a few things. So your sub-point A, we need to know the material. We need to know the material. And God's given that to us, Right? He wants us to trust and obey him. Well, how are you doing in that area? Do you trust God fully with your life, with everything in your life? It's easy for us to say and think it's true, but every now and then we really need to do a heart check. Uh, Pastor Mike is always prompting us to just check our faith, check our faith. I think at the same time we need to be checking our hearts for idols, uh, idols are things that we can hide in our hearts and put our dependence on and our faith in, sometimes without us even realizing that we're doing it. It's called idol worship. Um, our hearts can become crowded quicker than we would think with things we've chosen to trust in um, before God. So it's important that we do a periodic idol check of our heart. Uh, examine your heart and ask yourself uh, where things stand relative to God. Um, are you trusting in people? 
here and now? Are you trusting in your husband or your children for joy that God can only supply? Uh, are we trusting in material things? Uh, ask yourself, if this were to be taken away, how would I feel? Would I be ruined? Would I be crushed? Would I crumble? What about money, right? If your bank account is up, does your trust go up? And if your bank account balance is down, does your trust go down? They should not be related. What about our own wisdom? Do we think we know better than God when it comes to calling the shots? That can be an idol. Inspect your life for idols, and you will be sure to find some. Well, God's second area he addresses is our obedience, right? He wants us to trust him, us fully, trust him fully and give him complete obedience. And there's two areas he's going to test our obedience, in the immediacy of our obedience and the completeness of our obedience. He wants us to obey, obey right away, without hesitation, without argument, without negoti negotiation. And if you're a parent in the room, I think you can empathize with this, right? If you have children, this is what we desire from our children. If we say, go and do something, we want them to immediately go and do it. We want that immediacy. And God wants that from us as well. He doesn't want any talking back or but, 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 but just to immediately obey. And he wants us to obey completely. Uh, we saw with the Israelites, they kind of halfway obeyed, right? They gathered the food, but then they stored some till morning. That's like halfway obedience. That's not obedience. God wants us to obey completely. Um, if you were to ask your child, uh, hey, you've got clothes all over your room, pick up your clothes, please. And then you go in after them to check to see if they did it. And, you know, the shirts and the pants and everything are up, but there's still socks on the ground. And so you call your child back in and say, hey, you didn't pick up your clothes. Well, yes, I did. Well, there's socks on the ground. Well, socks aren't clothes, right? You'd be like, what? See, children try to find loopholes in obedience. And we do too, let's face it, right? We try to find those loopholes to not obey completely, to feel like we've checked the box of obedience, but really we haven't done everything God is asking us to do. We need to know that delayed obedience or incomplete obedience is disobedience. The benefit of trusting and obeying God is, is what he tells us in Exodus 15, verse 26. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh your healer. God's going to protect them. He's going to shelter them. He's not going to punish them in the way he did the rebellious Egyptians. This was for their good. So that's subpoint B. The testing is for your good. The testing is for your good. We talked about the before, that the purpose of the test is so that we can grow, we can increase our dependence, our God, and we can be more like Christ. We should be excited about this. This is an outcome that should excite us. When we think of someone who's endured many trials in the Bible, hopefully Job comes to mind, right? I don't think we know anyone in the Bible that suffered more than Job other than Jesus, um, Job was tested more intensely than anyone else. Uh, he lost almost every possession and every family member he had and his health all in the same time. And at the end, towards the end of his trial, he says this in Job 23.10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. When he try, has tried me, I shall come out as gold. I mean, he sees the trial. He's in the trial but his eyes are lifted to be able to see the purposeful outcome of the trial as well. I mean, gold is precious, gold is shiny, gold is beautiful. And that's what God wants out of the trials. 
Well, there's one more thing we need to know if we want to uh, be ready, and that's point, uh, sub point C. You won't pass every test. You won't pass every test. So I hate to build you up to knock you down, <laughs> but uh, we wouldn't be honest with ourselves if we sat up here and said we could get straight A's because it's just not possible. No matter how much we prepare, no matter how much we study for the quizzes, um, there will be ones that we fail. I've, I've heard through the grapevine that there is a teacher at CBI that is known for giving pop quizzes. He has this reputation. And I have a friend who took this teacher's class, and she said a pop quiz came her way, and she knew it was going to be on, she was told it was going to be on this book that they'd been studying, and she was excited because she'd been studying the book, she'd taken great notes on the book, I mean, she knew this book. And she got the pop quiz, and she looked at it, looked at the questions, and realized the questions were all on the prologue of the book, not the book itself. And guess which part of the book she didn't know really well? The prologue, right? And those are the areas God's going to test us. Those are our blind spots, the, the dark crevices that we don't see. That's where God is going to target. And that's why we're not going to pass every single test, because God knows us better than we know ourselves. The prologues of our lives are many, and, and he's going to test them. He's going to do it, and, he's, and, he's, and it's going to keep us humble. It's going to keep us in a state where we need to be. And we should know that there's only one who's passed every single test. There's only one who has a straight A report card, and that is Jesus. Jesus passed every single test. His trust was 100% in the Lord every time. He obeyed no matter the cost, even to the point of death. So we have a perfect example to follow in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, don't we? Whether we pass a test or fail a test, it shouldn't matter. We still have a need for Jesus. We still have a need for Jesus, whether we pass or whether we fail. Well, let's read the last verse in our passage today, uh, Exodus 15, verse 27. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Wow. So we go from no water, bitter water, to this beautiful oasis, right? I mean, God blesses them with this place to spend the night that has 12 springs of water. That tells me that's an abundance. That's probably more than they needed. And then palm trees, right? If you're in the wilderness, in the desert, I mean, you have to imagine that getting out of that hot sun was a need too. He provided them shade. We have a gracious God, but he had a purpose in this. And his purpose was to give them a glimpse and a reminder as to where they were headed. The oasis in the wilderness was a glimpse of the promised land. It was a glimpse of what was to come to remind them, look where we're going. Look where I'm taking you. Don't forget. This was to be their motivation to pass the next test and the next one and the next one because their reward was great. And we need to be motivated in the same way if we want to pass as well. So number three, be motivated by your coming reward. Be motivated by your coming reward. Well, I think we can agree that the wilderness we've been placed in is definitely more hospitable than a dry, barren desert, right? There's actually, I mean, this earth, it's fallen, but it's beautiful, right? There's much beauty to be had, and there's a lot of comforts here, um, Sometimes uh, we can get a little too comfortable, though, 
Um, even the Israelites did. We saw this in our passage today. They even got too comfortable in Egypt, where they were slaves. Okay, though enslaved and abused by the Egyptians, we find that when they were tried with hunger in the desert, they reflect back fondly on their time in Egypt. Let's read Exodus 16, verse 3. Exodus 16, verse 3. What that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They so easily forget these horrendous conditions of being slaves in Egypt, and, and all they remember is the food and the comfort it provided, right? They refuse to see the great reward of the promised land that lay ahead, that's been promised to them by God, who's kept every single promise so far. But we can be the same. If we lose sight of our reward, our eternal reward, we can invest in the wrong things too. We can convince ourselves maybe that this wilderness, it ain't so bad, and set up camp and forget where we're going. I, I had this happen with my kids one time. We were uh, driving up to Big Sur for a weekend away. I love Big Sur. It's one of my favorite parts of California. If you've never been, I highly recommend you go. Uh, but we're driving up, and we stopped at a rest stop, and it was kind of along the coast. And we got out of the car, and there were these like, beach squirrels. I don't know what they're really called, but I call them beach squirrels because they're small, and they live by the beach. But they were really friendly squirrels. And so they came up to my kids, and they were super cute. And so the kids thought that was just amazing. So we sat there and they, they, you know, played and watched the beach squirrels for a while, but then it was time to move on. And we said, let's, let's go. We got to keep going. We have another couple hour drive and we don't want to leave the squirrels, right? We don't want to leave the squirrels. And we said, boys, we're going to Big Sur. We're going to see these amazing things. There's probably going to be squirrels there too. Get in the car. Let's go. And so they reluctantly got in the car and we still heard some grumbling in the car, but we got to Big Sur and we spent a few days there, and we, did, we saw the great giant sequoia trees. We saw the waves crashing against those amazing cliffs. We drove that windy drive and over the cool bridges. Um, they got to swing on a rope swing into the Big Sur River. And the whole time we were there, they didn't mention the squirrels. They didn't mention the squirrels till we got home because I made a photo book from Shutterfly. And I got the photo book, and we're looking through it, and I had included a picture of them, you know, observing the squirrels. And they looked at that and said, oh yeah, the squirrels, right? Well, if we'd given our kids their way and stayed with the squirrels, we would have missed Big Sur. We never would have gotten to Big Sur. We never would have seen those great things and had that great time. We would have settled for the squirrels. So what are the squirrels in your life? <laughs> what are you settling for? What's keeping your eyes away from being fixated on your eternal rewards. With Christmas coming up, it can be really a distracting time. We can get sidetracked because we dedicate ourselves um, to things that we think are so important, but they can be so distracting. I mean, decorations, gift-giving parties, all good things. But let's not camp out on them, right? Let's not set up camp. Ladies, don't lose sight of where we're going because this world has nothing of value to truly offer in light of eternity. Nothing. Let this be your motivation to grow with each pop quiz because our reward is so great. Well, going back to um, getting assigned teachers, when I was in first grade, we had just moved to New Jersey 
and I was put in Mrs. Kuchegian's class. And Mrs. Kuchegian had a reputation for being a very tough teacher, so much so that there were parents that didn't want their kid to have Mrs. Kuchegian because they thought maybe she would crush their child's spirit or something, who knows. Uh, but I had Mrs. Kuchegian. And with a name like that, you would think she would let us call her Mrs. K. Nope, not Mrs. Kuchegian. We were six years old, and she said, even if it takes practice or time, you'll learn to say my name. And we did. If we were reading out loud, and you read in a monotone tone, she'd make you start over, and she'd say, this time, with emphasis and enthusiasm. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed, but to this day, I cannot read without emphasis and enthusiasm. Even if I'm reading in my head, it is ingrained in me. She had special ways and, and certain uh, methods to do everything in her classroom, even to get up and sharpen your pencil. There were just steps we had to take. She had order. And she expected these things, even of six-year-olds. And if a kid messed up, she would gently direct them and correct them and put them on the right path. My mom went to uh, the back-to-school night, where you meet the teacher, and Mrs. Kuchegin got up and let the, what, let the parents know what we'd be doing for that year. But she also mentioned that she, um, that she had her ways, she did the things she, the way she did, she pushed us the way she did, because she wanted us to be better. And she was right. I mean, I am better because of Mrs. Kuchegian. Uh, much of what I learned in first grade, I have carried throughout my life. She was a tough teacher. Her class was tough, probably tougher than any other first grade class that year in that New Jersey school. But I'm grateful. And we have a loving God that also wants us to be better. He wants what's best for us. And while we are in this wilderness, it can be inhospitable. Uh, the trials that come can be so downright heartbreaking at times. But be thankful, because if you're in the wilderness, if you're being tried by fire, it means that you've been saved, that you're headed to eternity. We need to expect this life to be hard. We need to be ready to look on towards our ultimate reward. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for this wonderful book of Exodus that you have gifted us and that we've gotten to go through so far this year. I pray that we will all walk away learning these valuable lessons you teach us through the Exodus. While we know the trials of this life will come, Please, Lord, help us to know that everyone is for our good and not for our harm. Keep our eyes fixed on our eternal rewards, Lord. Help us to see where you are leading us. Lord, I just thank you so much for the women in this room today, the women that come to Compass Women's Bible Study each and every week to study your word, to talk about your word, and to go out and be doers of the word, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity, and please, Lord, bless the discussions today. In Jesus' name, amen.